Passes, open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 16. English Standard Version is what I'll be reading from today. Homero, can you turn on the big light when you make it back there? Thanks, buddy. So last week we uh, started talking about Abraham and his faith journey, or his lack of faith journey, maybe we should say. And this week we're going to learn how Abraham figured out life and he didn't make any other mistakes ever again, and that was the end of his life. Say, ha ha, yeah, right, Grant. Today, unfortunately, we're going to learn about how Abraham totally blew it many more times in his life, but God never left his side. God was with him. God saw through his weakness, and it's, it's an amazing story. So Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 through 4, I'm going to read through a bunch of scriptures. We're going to make it all the way to Genesis 22. I want you to read along with me and make notes of the life lessons that we pick out um, because at the very end of our time, we're going to take a few moments and listen to you and what sticks out for you, what life lesson you can take as you're trying to hear God on what your mission is for your life. These are lessons that you can apply directly to your own life in our faith journey. Amen. So, Lord, I'm asking you to come this morning. Help us awaken our hearts to the word. Awaken our hearts to your true character. Awaken our hearts to your goodness. In the midst of our weakness, in the midst of Abraham's weakness, awaken our hearts, God, this morning. In Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. amen. All right, I'm going to need some help this morning. Y'all ready to help me? Say, Grant, I'm ready. Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, was, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Say, whoa, Sarah. Thank you. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant, and may it be that I shall obtain a child by her. Say, boo. This is bad news. Bad news. Okay, listen. If your spouse or your significant other or your best friend is in a low point in their faith, believing the word of God over their life, do not jump on board with their lack of faith. Do not listen to them. And if they tell you, hey, I got this great idea. I'm mad at God. Let's go do this. Say, no, bad idea. We're not doing that. But a good old Abraham, he didn't do that. He was an obedient husband, and Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Say, oh, no. Okay, very important point here. When you try to fulfill the desires or the promise of God, Apart from God, very bad things happen, <laughs> okay? When you try to do what God is wanting to do, but you leave God in the dust, and you do it out of your own flesh, and out of your own work, and out of your own striving, that is essentially the essence of religion, okay? Religion is trying to do what God wants apart from God, out of your own strength, which we know is impossible. It cannot be done. But in this moment, that's exactly what happens. They've heard the word of God. They've heard the promise of God. And they're saying, yes, we're going to make it happen. God, you're not giving me a kid, so I'm going to make it happen myself. And something is birthed in the midst of their leaving God in the dust, in the midst of their flesh, something very, very bad is birthed. You're going to learn a little bit more about Ishmael here in a few minutes. But I find it fascinating that as you learn more about Satan, he always copycats what God is doing. 
He has very little creativity, okay? He, he, just, he just looks at something that's good, and he copies it, and he twists it a little bit. And so Isaac was the, the promised one of God. And out of Isaac come the 12 tribes of Israel and God's blessing for the earth. But also out of Ishmael, if you read through the history of, of the world, you're going to find that Muhammad, who invented Islam with the help of a demon, they point back and say Isaac was not the, the promised child. Ishmael was the promised child. He was the father of the faith. Okay. Ishmael also has 12 tribes. And Ishmael is the epitome of trying to do what God says apart from God, which is the epitome of Islam today. And you're, it's, it's fascinating as you learn just a little bit more about that. Go back to verse 4 of Genesis 16. And he went into Hagar, she conceived. Okay, so Sarah got what she wanted. But then Sarah gets mad at Abraham and Hagar. And Abraham's like, whoa, 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 lady. Look, I just did what you wanted. What's your problem? And she gets angry and furious and mad. Okay, and then she begins to mistreat both of them. And she mistreats Hagar so bad that Hagar runs away. Hagar runs away, Genesis 16, verse 10. She's in the desert and an angel comes to her. It says, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for, or for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you will bear a son. You will call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Verse 12, He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Isn't that fascinating? When you strive to do something that God wants apart from God, you give birth to something of the flesh. And when you give birth to something of the flesh, they become a wild donkey of a man that is against everyone and everything and everyone's against them. It's not a good life. And if you think of who Islam is today, is that not exactly the prophetic you know, truth coming out? Okay? Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, say that's old. The Lord appears to Abram again. Okay, so Abraham, 13 years go by where God doesn't speak. And I don't know what Abraham is thinking in this time period where he has done this terrible thing. But I think he thinks Ishmael is now the promise. Okay, God said it. We made it happen. That's where it's going to happen. Cool, we're moving on with life. But God quits coming. 13 years God doesn't come back. 13 years, God quits speaking to him, quits fulfilling promises that he says. So 13 years later, God remembers and God comes back. And the Lord appears to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So God comes back to him. God wants to reawaken this promise that he has for him. Verse 3, then Abraham fell on his face. Say, good job, Abe. Abraham falls on his face in humility. And what does God do? God responds immediately to this humility in his heart. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. So I find it interesting, 17 verse 1 and 2, God comes to him and says, hey, Abe. I want to reawaken this covenant, but it's not awake right now. Abraham humbles himself before the Lord, and the result of humbling himself before the Lord is the covenant then comes to life. And in verse 3, verse 4, God says, my covenant is now with you. 
and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Say, I have made you. I love this. This is crazy. Okay. I have made you. What tense is I have made you? Past tense. Okay, so God is speaking, I will. Verse 2 and 3, he says, Be blameless, walk before me, so that I can make a covenant between you and me, and may multiply you greatly. He's speaking to the future. Verse 4, he says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of the multitudes. So in one sentence time, God is speaking, I will do these things, and in the very next sentence, God said, I already did these things. And Abraham, it's the same moment, it's the same minute out of God's mouth. But how can God say, I'm going to do this with you, and I already did this with you in the same sentence? It's crazy. But in God's mind, in God's world, time is totally different. And when God speaks, it is truth. It is as good as done, which is the same reason why we can look at Revelations, and it says, before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. Okay, how could Jesus be slain on a cross, pouring out his blood for all of our sins, before there's even people or before there's even the world? It's because God and Jesus had a conversation, and it was spoken, and it was proclaimed. And when it's proclaimed by the word of God, it will happen. Say, it will happen. So the same thing for you. If God comes to you and says, you are this, I will do this, it is as good as done because the word of God has proclaimed it. Amen? That's how he thinks about it. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Skip down to verse 15. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be, given, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Okay? So God comes again. Last week we saw several times God coming and correcting lies that he was believing. God comes again, and he says, look, you think it's going to come through Hagar. You think Ishmael is where the promise comes from. You are wrong. Let me correct the lie. The promise comes from Sarah, period. I will give you a son by her, no question about it. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then Abram fell on his face. I say, good job. But wait, there's more. Look and read carefully. Verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and what? Laughed. Okay, that's not good. If you want to be known as the father of the faith, I don't think it's such a good idea to hear the word of God and then fall on your face laughing so hard that you cannot even stand up any longer because you're in such disbelief at the word of God upon your life. That is not how you become the father of the faith. So God says to you, as for Sarah, I will give you a son by her. I'm going to bless her and she's going to become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. <laughs> falls over and he's dying laughing yeah right oh that's the most hilarious thing sarah of all people <laughs> gonna have a kid <laughs> oh that's a funny one god 
this is our mighty father of the faith. This is bad news. Say, Abraham, shut up. Okay? (laughs) So he's laughing on the ground at what God has proclaimed over him. (sighs) So then Abraham falls on his face and he laughs and he says to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who's 99 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, 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 God, God, oh, that Ishmael, Ishmael should live before you. This is crazy. Abraham is directly in the face of God saying, no, 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 I think you got it all wrong, God. (laughs) That's a good try, but look, we already got Ishmael, just do it with him. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. All right, so now God has spoken, okay? He's spoken Ishmael is going to be 12 princes, 12 tribes, just like Isaac and God's 12 tribes, right? It's amazing, the copycat stuff going on here. But um, then he speaks to him, and he gives him a time frame on the promise. So Abraham's been living his life, trying to walk in faith, trying to trust God. Okay, God, yes, I believe what you're saying, like all my descendants and all these stars and the sand and all. Yes, but now God gives him a very specific time frame. This is a point in time where he can now put on the calendar. He can begin to mark off the days, day by day. This time next year, she will bear a son. And he can start to count down the whole year. He knows when it's going to happen. And this is amazing because now he can work his whole life. He's been waiting in faith for this moment. And now he knows if it doesn't happen one year from today, then it's not going to happen and I can move on with my life. Okay? So this is huge that God gives him such a specific time frame. And so when he'd finished talking with God, uh, when he'd finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham, verse 23. And Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among them, uh, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised their flesh and their foreskins that very day, as God had said. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Amen. So Abraham obeys quickly. He hears God's voice. He says, yes, God, I believe what you're saying. I can, I can wait this one year. So what Abraham did do good is that he obeyed God quickly. God would show up. He'd have this profound moment, and he would say, yes, God, and he would obey quickly. So say, good job, Abraham. Say, don't laugh at God anymore, but good job, Abraham. You obeyed. Okay. Now, what I find fascinating is verse 23. It says, Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or, what's it say? Bought with his money. Okay? This is important. When God looks at you, if you think the way that God looks at you has nothing to do with your money, Abraham consecrated his whole house, including the things purchased with his money, because he knew that it mattered to God. So the things that that your money is connected to 
They've got to be consecrated to the Lord as well. So when God looks at you and you're trying to be right before God and you're trying to believe God and stand in faith, keep your money included. If you think it can be a separate thing, you are wrong and you're deceiving yourself. All right? So let's move on. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, so he's sitting there, he's hanging out, it's hot, he's looking out at the desert, and it says, and he lifted his eyes, and he looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. So he's hanging out, I'm thinking this is a month after God has just spoken to him, count the days, one year from today, here I come, and a month or so later, Abraham's hanging out, he looks up, bam, three guys right in front of him, okay? So three men are standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. Oh, Lord, if I've found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought out and wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you can move on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do, you, do as you said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and he set it before them. And when he stood by them under the tree while they ate, they said to him, hey, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, oh, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Okay? So this is cool. So God's already spoken it once. He's confirmed it once. He's put a time clock again. And then he confirms it again very shortly after that. And again, Abraham knows it's happening this year. The Lord says, this will happen. She's going to have a baby about this time next year. Now Abraham, and sorry, Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. And the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, a.k.a. There ain't no way this lady's having a baby. Verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself. Say, oh no. Say, didn't you learn like a month ago from your ding-dong husband? Don't laugh at God. And here God is outside her tent door and she laughed. <laughs> you hear that? God said, I'm going to have a baby. Yeah, right. She says, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have the pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh? Uh-oh. And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it. No, 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 I, I, didn't, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh, God. I didn't laugh. And then God says, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> Why did Sarah laugh at God's word? I don't know. Probably because she thought he was crazy. Yeah, this is impossible. The way, of, the way of women has ceased. Okay, that sounds terrible. But she's 99 years old. It has ceased. This is impossible. And she laughs at God because their level of faith in this moment is zilch. I mean, the father and mother of our faith, they got none. They're, they're like hopeless. They're finished with the promise of God. But God still remembers his promise to them. He hasn't given up, and he's going to make a way. Sometimes I think maybe she was afraid or afraid of God or afraid of the promise because sometimes we get so deep in our doubt that we actually become afraid of the promise coming true. 
You know, we get so comfortable in our level of complacency and where we're currently living, and we are so comfortable with God not doing what he told us he would do that it's way more comfortable to stay there than to actually believe God. And so I think maybe she's afraid of the blessing and the promise and the goodness of God coming true compared to where she was living at that moment. Of having to believe again and year after year, not waiting. Yeah. Which is so sad because this is the, I mean, God put a time clock on it. Of all the times in your life to believe God, believe him when he gives you a specific time on it, right? Okay, so Genesis 18, verse 16 through 33. Uh, The story continues that God is telling Abraham why they've come, why they're sitting at his tent. And God says, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, Uh, It's awful. The cries are just out of control. The sin is rampant. I I can't even handle it anymore, so we're going to put an end to it. And I find this fascinating to me. I love this story because it shows me in many other places throughout the Bible, but it shows me that God listens to us and God loves to partner with us in our desires, even when they're different than his desires, which is crazy. So God comes to the earth, and God is going on mission. God is going over here to do a specific thing, and he shares what he's doing with his son. And because of his love for his son, Abraham is like, oh, you're going to blow it all up. Oh, cool, 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 okay. Hey, God, what if there's like like 50 good guys in there? You still going to blow it up then? You're going to destroy it with 50 good guys? And that was the plan, but God's like, no, you know what? You're asking for this. I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to say, okay, if there's 50 good guys in there, we'll leave it alone. And Abraham's like, oh, cool, 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 cool. So, uh, oh, oh, God, what if there's like 45, 45 good guys? Will you blow it up then? No, Abraham, fine. I'll partner with you again. And what you desire, 45 good guys, no problem. He's like, cool, 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 cool. God, what if there's 40? And he continues to do this six times. Abraham changes God's mind. Isn't this amazing? Six times, Abraham, this man who is not walking in faith or belief in God and the promises for his life, six times, God loves him so much that he agrees and he changes his plan for Abraham. It's amazing. All right, let's move on. Uh, Genesis chapter 20. Go to verse 1. So from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb, and he lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. That doesn't sound too bad, right? That's no big deal. Okay, but now keep in mind, Abraham is now inside the year of the promise. He has a clock on when this thing is happening. He's in the moment. Why did Abraham leave where he was? I don't know. Was it God's will for him to leave? I don't think so, but I don't have a clue. But here's what I know. Abraham puts himself in a place of transition. Say transition. Guess who loves transition? The devil. Okay? The devil loves times of transition in your life. Somehow, for some reason unknown to me, Abraham puts himself in a time of transition. And he sends himself out again into a new territory. And in this time of transition, guess who's waiting for him? The devil, okay? And this, to me, this is Abraham's absolute lowest moment because he's in the year with the clock ticking of when the promise happens. And he's been through this exact same thing before. Let's watch what happens. Verse 2. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, 
She is my sister. Say, boo. <laughs> Say, Abraham, what the heck are you thinking? What's wrong with you? Oh, my gosh, we already did this. We did this last week. What is wrong with you? And he said of my wife, she's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. This is in the year of the promise. He again gives away half the promise of God. What's wrong with him? He jumps back into self-preservation mode because he's in a place of transition and he's fearful for his life. And even though he knows that God will take care of him because he did it before, he's choosing not to let God do what God wants to do. And he's preserving himself and he gave away the promise of God. This is your mighty man of faith. Your mighty father of the faith. But God still used him in the midst of his utter weakness. It's incredible. So verse 3. But God. Say, but God. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife. And can we just hit pause and remember that she's flipping 99 years old. How afraid are you, Abraham? Like, come on, get it together. <sighs> so now Abimelech had not approached her. And so he said, Lord, are you going to kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. And the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I did this. And then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that what you've done is in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against her. And therefore, I did not let you touch her. I love this. God's promise to Abraham at the very beginning was, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And, and the ESV says, those who dishonor you, I will curse. All right? And this is so interesting to me. Just when you think of the ways of God, Abimelech did not know in any way that he was doing something dishonoring to Abraham. Abraham had completely given up on God. He completely forgotten what God promised him. He was not thinking of this dishonor and curse thing. He was only thinking of himself and protecting himself. But God still upheld his promise and his word because what God says, God will do. So even though Abimelech doesn't even know what's going on, there is a curse now come upon his whole household of future death and no more kids because he's cursed Abraham without even knowing. It's amazing. And so now God has to come and rescue Abimelech <laughs> with, with, because of this terrible thing that Abraham has done. So verse 7, gosh, this is just this is mind-blowing to me. So God says to Abimelech, Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. So Abraham, in his moment of utter despair and stupidity and weakness, God still looks at this pagan king and he says, Hey, I know he did something wrong to you, but he is my prophet. He does my bidding. This is who I say he is. And so for you too, when you fall and you are in the midst of your utter weakness and you have screwed up so royally and you've forgotten everything that God has ever told you, God still says, this is who you are. And not only that, but God wants to still use you even in the midst of your failure to do his bidding on the earth, which is amazing. So what happens next? He says, he is a prophet. 
So return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. So God, this curse has come upon Abimelech's house of, of no wrongdoing of his own. And it's because of Abraham. But God is now proclaiming he is a prophet and nothing's going to get better until this guy who caused all the problems prays for you. And then it will allow me to heal you. Crazy. It's crazy. Verse 8, so Abimelech rose early in the morning and he called his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. And then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have you sinned against us that you have brought on me and my kingdom such a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? And then excuse central shows up. Abraham, oh, 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 oh I, I, I did it because I, I thought there's no fear of God in this place at all. And I said, they will kill me because of my wife. And besides, she really is my sister. I mean, she's the daughter of my father and not the daughter of my mother. And she just became my wife. And, and when God called me, when God caused me to leave my father's household, I, I said to her, this kindness you have to do, you have to tell people that you're actually my sister. Abe, like, this is not getting any better. <laughs> this is just getting worse and worse and worse. He's just digging a deeper hole. In verse 14, then Abimelech, he took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants, and he gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Now remember, I will bless you. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And I'm going to bless you so that the whole world can be blessed. Again, even moments after Abraham's stupidity, making excuses against God himself for this happening, God still pours out tremendous blessing on Abraham. Isn't it God's character so good? His, his kindness is just out of control. So verse 17, then Abraham prayed to God. Gosh, this is crazy. And God heals Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Okay, catch this. So God can't heal Abimelech until Abraham prays for him. And it says specifically, then Abraham prayed to God, which was Abraham like putting a key in the lock. And Abraham prayed and he unlocked the door. And then who heals Abimelech? Abraham? God heals Abimelech. So Abraham's prayer unlocked the ability for God then to come and bring healing into Abimelech's life. It's like God's hands were tied behind his back and he could not bring healing to this innocent king until the person that God wanted to partner with put the key in the lock and unlocked the door by obeying and by praying for this person. And then, and only then, could God open the door and bring healing to this house. Isn't that crazy? And doesn't that speak to you, the power of God partnering with us? And when God speaks to you about things that he wants to do and people around you, it's so important that we obey because sometimes... This is the same case with God, and God can't do anything until somebody partners with him on the earth, which unlocks the ability for him to do things. And if you want to learn more about it, just keep reading through Genesis and Exodus. 
the story of Moses blows me away every time because there's so many places where God desires to do something, but God apparently is unable to do anything until Moses responds. It's crazy. All right, let's, uh, we're almost there to the good part. And remember, all this was inside the year. He had the clock on, and he failed so utterly in this moment. Okay, so we get to the end of the year. Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. And the Lord visits Sarah, just as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called on the name of called the name of his son who was born to him and whom Sarah bore him Isaac, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, and God had as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, "God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me." And she said, "Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age." Say hallelujah. The promised child comes. Let's skip forward to Genesis 22. Unfortunately for Abraham, that's not the end of his story. There's a little bit more. But do you know that sometimes even after God gives you the promise that you fought for your whole life, sometimes he still comes back and he tests you again. But in the testing, there is tremendous blessing if you will continue to obey and continue to say yes. So Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. I can't even, I can't even begin to imagine. But what does Abraham do? He does what he's great at. So Abraham rose early the next morning. He saddled his donkey, took two of his young men and with him and his son Isaac. And Abraham obeys God without any understanding. I mean, gosh, can you imagine? This boy is the promise of God, of nations. You've lived your whole life trying to believe God that this would happen. and finally happens, and now God wants you to go set him on fire. What? This is crazy. But Abraham says yes. He believes God. He goes out. He has no idea why he's doing this. But he believes God. He trusts God. And then God, right before he brings down the knife, God stops him. God provides a sacrifice. And then there's a saying that comes from it. It says, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Amen? On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Genesis 22 God says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Amen. 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 So that's the end of our story for today. Um, next week we're going to jump into some other stuff. But I want to take just a few minutes and kind of what are the main highlights for you, the life lessons that you can take as you're trying to walk in your faith journey, what sticks out for you. And today, for me, four main things stick out. The first one is that God understands your weakness. Say, God understands my weakness. 
God totally gets it. He understands. When you fail utterly, I don't know that you are able to fail more miserably than the father of our faith. I really don't. Because it was really, 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 really bad. But even still, God understands our weakness, and God doesn't run away from your weakness. Second thing that sticks out for me is God doesn't give up on his promises even when we give up. Amen? He doesn't give up on his promise even if we do. Third thing, God really honors humility and obedience. And if God comes to you and you act humbly and you obey, man, God's going to show up in amazing ways in your life, even when it makes no sense to you. And the last thing for me is that God does what he says he will do. Amen? God does what he says he will do. And no matter how hard it is for you to believe God and trust God, he's going to do what he said he's going to do. In his book, he already did what he said he's going to do. You just got to hang in there long enough to see it happen. And do you know that in Hebrews chapter 11, a lot of the heroes of our faith died without seeing the thing that God said he would do. But they were rewarded tremendously because they did believe God and God did do those things, but after they had left the earth. So even when God speaks something and it just seems like you just begin to laugh at God and you're like, oh, that's absurd. You're bonkers. That's ridiculous. That can never happen in my life. Even if you're laughing at God, stand in belief with God. Don't give up because you will be rewarded not for you doing anything, but because you believed what God said he would do. And when you get to heaven, you're going to realize he did what he said he would do. And when he said he's going to do it, he already had it finished in his mind. Amen? All right, that's all I have. How about you guys? Would things pop out for you? All right, stand up. I want to pray for you guys. I want to recap just a few of the lessons. Last week we talked about the importance of altar building. So when God begins to speak to you, go build an altar. Put a stake in the ground of what it is. Don't forget the promises of God. Abraham's failures all happened when he lost sight of the promises of God. Or when he began to believe the lie that God needed his help to fulfill those promises through human effort. If you fall off the path, God is willing and ready to meet you at the altar once again and renew his promises to you. Hallelujah. Your promise from God will be tested, guaranteed. Maybe through natural phenomenon like a famine, maybe through external threats like the kings, maybe through your own dumb decisions to leave safety in search of more, or maybe through collateral damage to the war around you by those you love being attacked. In the climax of your faith, you are likely to be tried the hardest. Do not give in. Stand on God's words. Shoo those little vultures away from your sacrifice. God is your shield and your very great reward. So let him be. As you're on mission, don't ever lose your daily sight of the promise of God over your life. Don't ever think he forgot about you. Don't ever think you need to make something happen for God to fulfill his promises for you. Be patient and stand in faith. That is the way to be rewarded as being righteous, simply by standing in faith and being obedient and faithful to what he says. And lastly, when we can trust God, even when it makes zero sense, because he always knows what he's doing, and he is always good. Abraham's reward for obedience was exponentially greater than before because he obeyed God on the mountain. 
Amen. So let's close our eyes. Father, this morning I just want to impart a staying faith for every single person in the room. A staying faith upon every person's heart. A faith to be able to say yes and a faith to be able to stick it out when the enemy comes and messes with them, when doubt comes and wants to pull them away. We impart a staying faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. To never forget the word of God. To never forget the promise of God. To never forget what you said you will do. God, help every person to be able to hold on tight to the things that you say to them. And to never, ever, ever let go. And I can't wait to get to heaven and see the tremendous rewards that these guys in the room have. Because they simply said yes to what you spoke. Father, we love you so much. And for anybody in the room who feels like... They're having a hard time hearing you and why they're on the earth and what your mission for them is and what their purpose on the earth is. Holy Spirit, we give you full permission to show up and to speak and to invade and to give dreams and to impart to them what you put them on the earth to do in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. Amen.